0: And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception to pregnancy and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who have made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional. Thank you for being with us today. Hi, and welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I'm very honored and excited to have the super awesome Artie Sequera on with us today. She is here to share her personal experience and journey through postpartum depression. And now she's become a very powerful advocate for maternal mental health after her experience. She competed in Cutthroat Kitchen Superstar Sabotage Tournament, and she chose Postpartum Support International as her charity for donation. As a result, she has helped raise awareness of postpartum depression and the importance of maternal mental health. She is in the documentary called When the Bell Breaks, a documentary on postpartum depression, and was a keynote speaker at the PSI conference this summer. She is well known from being on the Food Network and for two other things, spinning her Indian soul into American favorites and her laugh. Armed with both, the former CNN producer won Food Network star going on to host Artie Party, a cooking show that grew out of a popular blog and YouTube show shot in her kitchen with actor-director husband Brendan McNamara. Her cookbook, Artie Party, ranked in the top three Indian Middle Eastern cookbooks on Amazon. A judge on Guy's Grocery Games and Clash of the Grandmas, she also contributes to Unique Sweets and competes on behalf of Postpartum Support International, the organization that helped her on the road to healing from postpartum depression. Catch her on today's Show, The Talk, Dr. Oz, and her podcast, Past the Salt. She lives in Los Angeles with Brendan and her two daughters, Elia and Moses. Welcome, Artie. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. It's awesome. Yay! <laughs> yeah so we were chatting a little bit before we started how cool it is you're willing to share your personal experience and how helpful and i know that it is for people who need to hear themselves reflected in your story so i just want to thank you for that
1: oh sure
0: I mean, I think it's funny because I started off as, you know, my
1: calling in life was to be a journalist. I grew Mm. up during the Gulf War and I was in the Middle East. And so like in my backyard, quite literally.
2: Mm.
1: And I remember watching the news and being like, oh, I want to be Christiane Amanpour and I want to be, you know, reporting the news because I want to be helping in some way, I guess.
0: Yeah.
1: Also, it was very glamorous to me and badass. I mean, (laughs) let's not lie about that. Then I grew up and I went to university and I worked at CNN for a few years. And it's funny because at a certain point, just sort of lost my passion for that i mean i still do love the news and love journalists especially Mm -hmm. most of them but i think the thing that i was trying to do was just like at all times tell the truth and in some ways it's just occurring to me now as i'm talking that that aspect of whatever training i got as a journalist has continued where you just tell the truth because The truth is always better. When I stopped working in news, I started writing on my blog, which is still in existence. Mm -hmm. And if you guys are ever so bored and want to go back into the archives, like I've always found a lot of therapy just for myself in just writing out what is going on with me. And it helps me sort of see things for what they are, see things that are true and valid and need to be sort of nurtured and nursed. Mm -hmm. And then see things that are just full on, like either foolishness or lies. And so, you know, in a way, when I got the postpartum depression and I was sort of dealing with it, and then even as I found, you know, some uh, recovery and relief, it was not even a difficult thing for me to talk about it, honestly. Mm. It's just a natural next step in this relationship I think I'd already created between me and people who read my
0: blog and people who watch me on Food Network. Well, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you have that, I'll call it a superpower. (laughs) (laughs) For a lot of people, you know, there's so much guilt and shame and all of this other stuff that goes along with Have feeling anything but great and wonderful, especially as a mother. And I think your perspective and approach is part of what helps people get past that stigma and get past that feeling of shame. Is it like, hey, this is a thing that we deal with as people?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's been really validating. You know, I get emails whenever Cutthroat Kitchen as the episode that I competed on and won for PSI. And then even now I've been competing on guys' grocery games as well when they have special, like, you've been judging all this time, you do it now kind Mm -hmm. of episodes. And then, you know, I compete for PSI. I always get messages after those episodes from women saying either thank you so much for talking about it because it helped people that I know in my family and in my friend circles understand what I'm going through,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: or I didn't know that that's what I had. And after I watched you, you know, I went and got help or I called PSI or whatever. That is huge, you know what I mean? Like that kind of makes it feel like, okay, I'm using this career, which is very sort of me focused for something that is like outwardly focused. And that helps me feel okay about spending so much time thinking about myself all day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and making awesome food too. Yeah, I
1: I do try. There have been some bombs, I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) Even just this week, but usually it's
0: been okay. (laughs) Right. You being a public about went on for you helped in my community itself, I volunteer for PSI in San Bernardino County here. And I got a call from a husband and wife who saw you on TV and called PSI for help. They're like, Oh, this is what's happening for my wife. We need help. Oh my and God. it was just like so powerful to get the call. Like, yeah. you know, like my mind was sort of blown at that moment, just right after they watched, they called. And yeah. uh,
1: you know, it tells you that TV is still very powerful as much as like, we talk about the internet, which is of course very powerful too. There really is something to seeing someone on TV. I actually even think that most of us put our TVs on a physical pedestal, (laughs) you know? You're always like kind of looking up at the TV and then here's this person. And if you have a big screen, they're like, their face is blown up (laughs) by size. So now they're giants. Uh When they are open, Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any shame. When you're open about the things that you're struggling with, it has a huge effect on people. Someone had posted this thing a couple of times, I've seen it from different women, This saying like, you should at all times be like a duck, like above water, smooth and graceful, and below water, like paddling like the Dickens or something like that. Mm -hmm. Someone will tell you what it actually is. And that statement drives me crazy. Yeah. I think it is the most ridiculous thing. If you are having a hard time and you're working really hard and it's a struggle, why are you then going to add another layer, which is let me hide it? Because obviously there's something shameful about going through a hard time. When honestly, like the thing that I've really been coming around to is I think when we were little, we had this idea sold to all of us. Listen, I'm selling it in some way to my children too, that life is a fairy tale, that you work hard all the way through school and everything, and then everything works out. And it's not true. I mean, I'm a Christian and in the Bible, it talks about that Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but do not fear, I've overcome the world. If even Jesus is saying to you, hey, listen, things are going to get tough. I don't think that there's anything wrong with saying, I'm going through a really difficult time right now and I need help.
0: Yeah, I that this is one of the key things that I hear as a therapist with moms that I meet with is this idea that, you know, I'm a bad mom because I'm not doing a good job. I'm not yes. just enough. And oh my God, what a burden.
1: Yeah. It's a horrible it's feeling. such a burden. And I think especially these days when, you know, I don't know what it was like to be a mom pre-Facebook, right. pre-Instagram. But I think that all of these social media things actually seem to make mothering harder Yeah. Because you are in a constant subconscious comparison battle and I have a real problem with compare like compare and despair Mm -hmm. I have a real problem with that and the thing is if you're a mom and you're raising your children and you're sneaking in five minutes of escapism which is what I do just scrolling through Instagram you're seeing all these happy beautiful well-lit photos of mothers (laughs) and their children Mm -hmm. you're like everyone's smiling and everyone's happy and everyone's got it all together you know no, it's a moment in time, but it's so hard because all you're seeing is an entire feed of happy moments in time. Right. So sometimes I feel like my feed is a little wow, wow, woe is me, but I sort of feel like my purpose is kind of to counterbalance all yeah. that. Right. And be yeah, real. Be honest. Honest. Yeah, just be like totally normal and real and just say, I love that. Yeah. It was hard. You know, I think that one of the hard things was that I think giving birth is hard enough. And then especially before your first baby, there's so much preparation for the birth itself and then very little preparation for those first couple of weeks.
0: Yep. Hardly
1: uh, any. Hardly any. And I really think that that needs to be part of your childbirth class is yes. things, you know, like a psychological aspect, like mm-hmm. mama, here's how you're going to feel probably. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on day three or four, your hormones are probably going to drop out and you're going to feel really awful and that's okay. I mean, that's why we can deal with PMS is because we know it's temporary and then you're going to be fine. You know what I mean? Right. Nobody tells us, hey, remember your PMS? It's going to be five times worse. But normally, conventionally, it's only going to last X number of days and then you should be fine. If it continues to last past that, then you should seek out help. Like, mm-hmm. I just wish someone had told me that. Uh,
0: right. It seems like simple knowledge to pass along.
1: Well, I know. And I wonder if people don't do that because they don't want to scare mums.
0: I think so. But it's a disservice. Mm-hmm. For you, in your journey and in your experience, what happened? How did you know something wasn't quite right? And
1: So I got depression, postpartum depression after my first daughter, but not after my second. Mm So my first one, she's three years old now. The birth went nothing as planned, but, you know, big deal. That happens to everybody. I did end up having to have an emergency C-section. And I do sometimes wonder whether that had anything to do with it. Basically, what happened is that, you know, I came home and, you know, it's rough for the first few weeks because you're just getting used to this whole new person being in your life and her needing you at all times. yeah, And so that was just kind of difficult. But the thing that I realized pretty quickly is that I didn't have that rush of, oh my goodness, my heart just expanded a chamber Mm -hmm. because there's not enough place to put all the love that I have for her.
3: Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.
2: If you're a parent, I invite
3: you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean, right? right? Like I don't, I don't have a tumor of love. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> or, and I could see that my husband did and he didn't even give birth to her. So I was like, hmm, something's going on. And I would have a really hard time with her when she wouldn't comply. Right. And she's just a baby. But, right. you know, if she didn't go to sleep or if she didn't feed or, you know, I just felt like it was a personal affront Yeah, to me because I was like okay, I'm working super, super hard for you. I don't even, I think that you're incredibly cute and I feel so responsible for you. And I do thank God for you because I didn't think that I could have a baby. Mm. But I'm having a really hard time because I don't feel affection for you. Right. I don't love you. Right. And I don't think that that's right. So that was really kind of the big thing. And then it escalated because my husband, who is an actor, very smartly took a temporary production gig. What that means is a TV production. That means that he would leave the house at eight in the morning, maybe. And then he wouldn't be home until 8.30, 9 p.m. So I'd go these long days, and it was also the winter, so they were dark days. Oh boy. All by myself. And I don't have family who Mm -hmm. live here and none of my friends had had babies. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I really felt, all by myself. Yeah, with this child, yeah. this thing, and it just made it worse. I mean, I felt so alone. I was so tired. I cried constantly. I was mm. felt so guilty on top of everything because I thought I'm failing her. And mm. I quite often would tell people, I just feel like she would be better off with someone else as her mom because I'm doing such a piss poor job of it and then on top of that she's looking at me and she knows that I don't love her and what Mm. is the future for a child whose own mother doesn't love her Mm. who thinks that she's beautiful and you know all of that stuff but so that kind of just kept going and then it affects your marriage too and my you know I, you have not said one positive thing since you gave birth everything you say Mm -hmm. is negative and I said oh well
0: yeah
1: that's just how I feel. Like, I can't control that. Right. And then, or I don't feel like I can control that. It was just a very dark pit. And on top of the whole thing, you're thinking, oh God, I'm trapped. Like, this is the rest of my
0: life. Right, right. like that feeling is going right. to last forever. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: that this is going to last forever. And also that you're a freak because, you know, then I did join a mums group and I'm looking at these mums looking adoringly at their babies, oh. you know, at every single, like, burp and noise that they make and I'm like uh no you know I mean I was I was very proud of my daughter I thought that she was very cute and everybody talked about how much hair she had and all that stuff like Mm -hmm. I loved that but I don't know
0: well I it's really hard you know you mentioned several things that a lot of moms who are feeling this stuff feel which is that like deep sense of loneliness like that just doing this by yourself if you have partners who aren't around yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah, But there's this really fascinating way. You know, we're so used to communicating and relating and talking and having people understand what we're saying. But nobody talks about that you're going to receive this human who cannot do any of those things, like this 100% being reliant on you. And it's such a shift to have to then find a different way to relate to somebody who can't give you anything back, really. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, it ends up feeling personal.
1: Yeah. And you feel horrible about it. Yeah, You feel so horrible about it. And you feel like there's something wrong with you. You know, one of the things I say is like, there is something wrong with yeah. You. you. Yeah. Know, it's not that you are wrong. It's that something's not right. Like something's up. Right. And it's just like, you know, if you had an ear infection or whatever, like you go and get some help for it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that I, I was breastfeeding. And so I just didn't know exactly what to do. I mean, the one thing is that at the beginning of my pregnancy, I was so emotional that my friend who is a psychotherapist said, you know, you should go and maybe go get some therapy, some cognitive behavioral therapy so that you can sort of learn to undo those thoughts a little bit like chase them all the way to the end kind of Mm -hmm. and then ask the right questions so you can see them in the right light so I did of course by the time I actually had given birth and everything I'd forgotten everything
3: (laughs) I couldn't
1: really use any of those tools at that point but I was at least aware and so was my husband this thing called postpartum depression my husband was actually really on top of it he said listen you're sick Mm -hmm. and that is huge you know I think that That's why I think with childbirth classes, especially, it's very important to mention it because the husbands or the boyfriends or whatever, your partner needs to know that this is something that can happen. And it isn't just that your partner is being stubborn or being lazy or checked out or whatever. It's not, you know, that this is an imbalance and that the right response in that moment is to say, let's go get some help. Yeah. I still love you. I'm here with you. Let's figure this out together kind of thing. Yes. As opposed to you're wrong, what the hell is wrong with you kind of thing.
0: Right. Which absolutely adds to the mom feeling. Absolutely.
1: And, you know, what broke my heart is like, so one of the things that I ended up doing is one day I was sitting by myself trimming my daughter's nails and I nipped her ah, and yes. she wailed. And, you know, when your nerves are so frayed that then I started wailing because I was like, yeah. I cannot even trim her nails without right. hurting her. Right. You know
2: what I mean? It was oh, just- yeah.
1: But even pre postpartum depression, I've always had problems with a tape playing in the back of my brain saying, "You're failing. You're stuck. You're failing. Look, you can't even do this. Everybody thinks that you are ridiculous. Why do you even try? You're just going to fail. And then if you fail, what's the point of you even being here? You know what I mean? Yeah. So then that was sort of I thought I sort of feel like the postpartum depression preys on that tape. Oh yeah, and amplifies it, and then also. Because it's a an overachiever, it then adds to the tape
0: too. Oh,
2: so totally.
1: it's
0: like you know, right? Everything gets magnified to such an extent so that it's much. so real. You're looking yes. at things in such detail. Such detail.
1: And so when that happened, Mm -hmm. I called the warm line at postpartum.net, you know, and I spoke to somebody and then they got me into a support group and that kind of started the whole thing going. But I remember being at the support group and talking to women and just being astonished. At how many women had such unsupportive husbands? Mm-hmm. I'm sure that they're lovely men. It's just that from their perspective, they were like, "You wanted this baby, and now you're acting like it's the worst thing that's ever happened to you." You know, and so from their perspective, they have no idea what's going on, and they're usually gone all day if they're working. So they leave in the morning, and everything is maybe okay, and they come, right. up, and their wives are a big mess. You know, right. yeah. I think they're like, you've just been sitting on your butt all day. Like, what was so hard for you? I've been at work. And so it's just like everything. Everything is so much worse when your best friend in the whole world doesn't see what's going on. with
0: you. Yeah, it's devastating too. And feeling alone in your own home is yes. that much harder. Yes. Uh, feeling isolated and judged and yes. whatever else is coming at them, weak or... And that's why it's so, so, like you said, important for partners to really have a good understanding Of what can happen. Not that it's going to, but that it can, and that they can help and look out for stuff, and then for them to not take stuff personally as well.
1: Yeah. It's funny because after I gave birth, you know, he checked in, he said, Are you okay? And I said, Yeah, go follow the baby because she was covered in meconium, and, you know, they take her away and stuff, which is the polar opposite of what we wanted for our birth. So he was like, I'm going to go with her. And I said, Yes, go with her so she was crying and he put his hand on her and he was singing to her and then she stopped crying and she got very calm so he said when i asked him i said so when you saw her because of course now he saw her before i did that's the other thing that's so crazy about you know c-sections but anyway he said i said did you have that feeling that they talk about that rush of oxycontin and you know all you want to do is just love, love, love on her. And he goes, well, I don't know if that's what I felt, but I did feel like the bubble around me of protection that encompasses me and you. Mm-hmm. you know, it used to be that I was concerned with just protecting myself. And I met you, married you, that bubble, you know, grew to include you. Right. And then when I saw Aliyah, it grew a little bit more. And I was like, this is my baby and I have to protect her. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if other men relate to that, but you know, if that is the way that you understand your role in your family, then part of your role is to say, as the protector, mm-hmm. I need to protect my wife and my child here, and something is up. And I might have to step in and call out for help because she can't. Right. You know, or she feels ashamed to for whatever reason. Right. It was really huge for me. Once he said, mm-hmm. I think something's up. Then I felt like the door was open for me to be open with my friends and with my family. And even though I tried lots of different things before I ended up getting antidepressants, everybody knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. I feel so much better because I felt like I had all of these people checking in on me and praying for me. And, you know, it's not the sort of thing that you can beat on your own.
0: No, absolutely. And having the social support is a really big part of feeling better. Sometimes the risk, you know, some people will say that they have a lot of people around them. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel supported by those people around them, you might as well be alone on some level. Yeah. And by your example of sharing it with friends and family, hey, this is what's going on, or this is the kind of help I need, that kind of thing, and bringing them into the loop, you don't have to feel alone in their presence.
1: Yeah, you know, I get it. I know some people, uh, reluctant to talk about it because they feel sure. their friends or their family are gonna have a negative reaction and there's even more people judging you. Right. Yeah. You know, obviously you know you going to make your choices about who you divulge this information to. But, definitely, definitely. Um, there are some
0: people who will make yeah it worse. So your journey through this, I mean you sought help, you sought support. Were along the way were most people understanding or did you run into some people who didn't get it or providers who didn't understand anything like that? I
1: remember that, you know, I took my daughter to one of her monthly visits at the pediatrician, you know, maybe her one month or her two month or something. And I'd always had kind of a weird vibe from this dude, Mm. even though on paper, he was everything that I needed, which was, you know, a doctor that was open to homeopathic medicine, as well as regular medicine. Just because I was brought up in an Indian household, you always reach for like spices first or homeopathic yeah. medicine first. Yeah. And then you go to, you know, so I just wanted to try the same thing. So, but the thing is that I don't think he has children of his own. And I do think that makes a difference sometimes because he said, so how are things going? And I said, well, she's fine, but I'm not feeling so great. And so he was understanding and he prescribed me a couple of homeopathic medicines that he thought would sort of take the edge off. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I give this to a lot of my mums when they're feeling stressed out. And I okay. Like, okay. And so there was something about the tone and the verbiage that he used that made me feel dismissed. Mm-hmm. And I know that I have the power to just like dismiss it right back. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, yeah. But I think in that sort of weakened state, I just took it as, oh, look, even the doctor thinks that you're overreacting and you're having a pity. Yeah. You know? So I tried those. They didn't really make any difference. And then tried things like supportive things like diet and exercise, like trying to get outside in the sunshine. And that does really help every day if you can do that. But I mean, it only helps. It doesn't overtake whatever it is that you're dealing with. But it is a good practice to get into, even as you get older, as your child gets older, just to have that time to yourself. So I tried those things and then it took my mom coming to visit when Alaya was about eight months old
0: Mm -hmm.
1: for me to realize that maybe there was something else, you know, maybe it was time to take that step because, you know, my mom is an incredibly strong woman and prides herself on being a very strong woman Mm -hmm. and sort of passed that on to us. And listen, that is because Her own mother passed away when she was very young. She became the sort of de facto mother in her Mm -hmm. household to her sisters and her brother. Mm -hmm. And she has always kind of carried the struggles of the family on her back and sort of pulled us through. And so she kind of wanted that same thing for us. And that is an incredible quality. But, you know, that voice was also in the back of my mind. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you were just strong enough, then you would just get through this. Oh After staying here for, I think, three weeks and sort of watching what was going on with me at the end of it, she said, you know, I think that you just need to go to the doctor and you need to just go get some medicine and just be done with this. It's been eight months. You've let this thing rob you of the joy of your daughter for eight months. Mm. Enough already. And I sort of nodded and I said, okay, I really think that that was like kind of a pivotal moment for me. And I'm so grateful to my mom for like saying that because sure. sometimes I feel like you need permission.
0: Right. Especially and, with this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. And I think if that's, you know, you almost need to like find that person that you need to have that permission from mm-hmm. and have them literally say to you, I will not think any less of you if you go and get the help that you think that you need. Right. It was huge. And it still took me a little while to like line up an appointment because I think the other thing is when you become a mom, you automatically deprioritize yourself. Yes. So, it, yes. you know, you're like just taking forever just to make the appointment. And then when I went to the doctor, she too was like, let's try some natural things. And I was like, I've already told you I tried some Right. Asking, okay, I've held out for this long. Let me try these different things. They didn't make a difference. And so we just immediately started. And it was huge. I mean, it took a few weeks mm-hmm. to kick in. And that's the thing. I mean, people say, oh, you know, you just took a pill to solve your problems. I was like, yeah, Yeah. you weren't there for the first two weeks when you feel actually worse. Right. (laughs) And you got really doubting whether you should have jumped off the diving board into this world. Right,
0: but that's the kind of stuff that like makes me so mad. If you had diabetes and you were like, had changed your diet and were exercising and, and like drinking water all the time, it wasn't helping. And you went to the doctor to get insulin. Would people say like, you just took a pill to solve your problems, yeah. No,
1: yeah, it is. I mean, but I think I say that, but I, you know, I also do think that, you know, when I was saying that postpartum depression preys on the tape that's already been playing in your mind, absolutely. You know, I think you do have to address the tape, definitely. You know, that I, um didn't do therapy in the conventional sense, but I go to church, I talk to my pastor, like I had a lot of talking going on mm-hmm. about those issues that the postpartum depression was like just feasting on. Yeah, absolutely. And so I do think that you, you should take a double pronged approach, which if, again, like, as a mom, you're like, oh, so now I also have to make an appointment every week to go talk about myself for an hour. Yep. This is very, very self indulgent, but it's your health. And I feel like I have been a 200% better mom mm-hmm.
0: to Malaya
1: having done that. You know, I've enjoyed her. And of course, she can see when I enjoy her, and it, you just see her blossom. In that moment, you know, so it's huge for your child. If you can't do it for yourself, then you have to think, okay, I'm doing
0: this for my child. Absolutely. Right. And that's a good way to look at it because it's not, I mean, it feels selfish. And I think in some ways that's part of our conditioning, maybe as women or just maybe societally, but also to go. And if you've never been to therapy or talked about your stuff before, that can feel hard, but yes, going to address some of the underlying issues And if you need to take medication to feel better, fine. Right, therapy or some type of support, some type of working through and looking at your vulnerabilities and addressing them is so powerful. And a lot of moms describe if they stick with the therapy or whatever type of support that they're using is that they feel kind of better than they did even before they had postpartum depression or anxiety because they're also working on the underlying issues that contributed.
1: Yeah. And it
0: sounds like that's part of Maybe what you described is Mm -hmm. you were talking about seeing all of these things that were coming up as a new mom.
1: Yeah. I think that the medication for me helped me. It gave me enough of a lift so that I could actually kind of see the issues for what they were Mm -hmm. as opposed to just being completely overwhelmed by them Yeah, and never having any reprieve. You know, so I always describe it as like, it wasn't, you know, suddenly I was pooping rainbows. It was that I yeah, you know, it was that, you know, that I had been living under these gray, gloomy, stormy clouds, that the medication helped me just sort of it was a step stool so that okay. I could look above the clouds, remember that the sun was still there. Yeah. and Proceed. Like the clouds were still in front of me. But you know, it was a reminder, like, okay, this is what it feels like to have a little bit of hope. Right. For me, it manifested as hope. Like, oh, so good. I remember I made a plan. I made a plan for myself on the, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't done that in a long time. Yes. And you know, it's not over. I mean, I'm on my second, and I assume my last baby. And Mm -hmm. thankfully, this time around, I didn't experience postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. I did. I still was. I still was on Lexapro when I was pregnant with Mosey, my Mm -hmm. second. And I talked it over with my doctor. And I will say that my doctor was amazing because he was very conscious of my mental well-being throughout the pregnancy. And he said, listen, it would be ideal if you weren't on it by 36 weeks. And he told me this near the beginning of my pregnancy. And he said, I don't want you to stress out about it. I want you to talk to your doctor about it. Mm -hmm. If you would like to wean yourself off it, then please do. But the second that you feel bad about it, then call me and let's talk about it because it's better that you feel good mentally and then we deal with the repercussions than, you know, you sort of gritting your teeth and white knuckling your way through it. Right. Um, And
0: that's not good for either and anybody really. Yeah. You know, all of this is so powerful in terms of just, you know, as I said before, you sharing your story and hopefully people can hear themselves in what you've described and know that it's okay to get help, and know that, you know, whatever path they need to take to feeling better is cool, but that it does need to be addressed on on some level, and, you know, with all of the things that you're doing in your professional life, you're still being an advocate. You have so much going on, from what it seems like on my end, on being a judge on guys' grocery games, and you have your cookbook, And you have their Pass the Salt podcast. Um, Yeah. That takes up some time. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but even people just being able to hear you do you and go after your passions in this way is uplifting.
1: Thank you. Yeah. You know, whenever I see people in real life, IRL, people (laughs) are like, oh my gosh, you know, it seems like you have so much going on. And I was like, huh, it does, doesn't it? (laughs) Because if you came by my house, it like, you know, 5.30 Five thirty in the morning, you would see what it really is like. <laughs> <You> know, <just laughs> right, very unglamorous and, and very much like any mum's life. Where right. I mean, I'm I'm really blessed because my husband is an actor, so. Bren is home all day except for auditions and you know things that we're working on. So right. we get to co-parent and share the, I was going to say burden, but the blessed responsibility <laughs> yeah. of, you know, of watching these two and making sure they don't kill themselves or each other. Right. So in that sense, like I feel like my life, I struggle a lot with, I read this phrase once, the unpredictable mundanity. Of Mm. these early years where you like, you wouldn't trade them for the world because you know that it's good for them and you know it's good for you to be there and to be there and teaching and guiding and correcting and loving and, you know, having fun together. Mm -hmm. But it's also very difficult and it's very challenging and it's also very hard to also keep your own things going. And just keep it all juggled, you know, and I'm sure that's something that happens forever and ever.
0: Right.
1: But yeah, you know, I still try to do things once in a while. So, like, we do a podcast called Pass the Salt that's all about food meets pop culture. We had a really good episode, me and Bren, where we talked about this, me and my husband do it. Yeah. We talked about food and presidential elections and how important it was that, like, you know, what impact did it have that, Bill Clinton ate, you know, his favorite food was burgers. Mm-hmm. And that was really important because here's a Fulbright scholar. You know, who seems very, like, super intellectual. But no, he plays the saxophone and he eats burgers just like the rest of us. Yes. Right. Things like that. We talk about that. That's awesome. And then my cookbook's still available through Amazon. The whole point in my cookbook, to anyone who doesn't know my style of cooking, is to simplify Indian cooking and take all the scariness out of it. Yeah. Um, And to make it doable on a, you know, weekly basis, you know, when you throw pistachios raisins and ginger and garlic into your sloppy joe mix what happens yeah things like that love it yeah so I'm trying to keep busy and then hopefully we'll start shooting guys grocery games in October so then that will be the real juggle
0: that's awesome and I would assume that everyone can like stay connected to you through your website artyparty.com yeah um, and get updates from there
1: yeah yeah through there and then I'm super active on Instagram, and you can always find me that way. I respond to every single message that I get, except for the spammers from Indian who just say
0: "Hi." <laughs> That's oh, all they say. Away. Yeah, no yeah, so awkward. That's funny, right? So you're on Instagram, Artie Party Pics, on Twitter, Artie Party, and Facebook, Artie Fan Page, and of course your website, ArtieParty.com, and we get to see you on TV. and hear all of the like listen and see about all of the wonderful things that you're doing in the food world too as well as the maternal mental health world and I just love that your story is part of your life because that's what it is you've integrated parts of yourself in such a beautiful way and I hope that you know people can be inspired and be hopeful about your message and seeing you go on to do all of the great things that you do
1: thank you yeah if anyone's listening just know that it's this isn't the be all and end all you know what i mean like this doesn't have to be forever yes
0: no it doesn't and it won't be if you get the right help yep absolutely i thank you so much for being on with us today i just loved being able to chat with you and i'm so glad to have met you and too and so thankful for all that you do thank you so much darling thanks bye 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 By joining us today and listening, you're a part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this free podcast so that Mom & Mind can be found by moms, families, and providers who will benefit from hearing our talks. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com where you will also find links and information from today's episode. Thank you for listening and being a part of the mom and Mind community.
2: No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.